The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. I want to move all the way to verse 25 this morning. We're going to pause in verse 21, then go to verse 25, then come back to verse 21. Do you got it? All right, hang on just for a moment, okay? Verse 18 James is setting the, uh, he's setting the table for us and he uses this idea of a new birth that comes through, he uses the word of truth that God speaks to us. Now, the, the, the wording can get a little bit convoluted here, but don't be confused about what James is saying. James is giving a description about how all of us, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, come to faith in Jesus. That's the essence of what he is saying. None of us in this room, if you believe you are a Christian, came to be a Christian because you were born into a Christian family. You didn't come to be a Christian because you have Christian friends. You didn't come to be a Christian because you showed up at church. You came to be a Christian because you heard the gospel, the word of truth truth. It was implanted in your heart and the spirit of the living God divided your heart according to the book of Acts. And then you knew that God knew you were a sinner. And the only solution for your sin was the gospel of Jesus who died on the cross to save you from your sins. And so what James says is that he gave us new birth. It was a gift that he gave. And he gave us a new birth by the word of his truth. And so he lays the uh, foundation for what he's going to say here, and, and he has this idea that he wants to set forth, and, and, he, and, he, um, and he lays out this idea of the word of truth. And what he wants to communicate is that because everything in us is bad, we need the undeserved goodness to change us from the inside out. Okay, this is important. And so James is going to say, our faith relies on this inside-out process on every single level. Now, here's why this is important. Because James is about to get into the heart of what he wants to talk about in the entire book. He's going to talk about how faith works. Specifically, he's going to talk about obedience. And obedience in our culture is a difficult idea and a difficult thought. Because we live in an individualistic society. And in an individualistic society, we don't value conformity. We value uniqueness. And so obedience is difficult difficult to swallow for most of us. So James is going to start out talking about how you became a believer. It was a gift of God when he imparted the word of God into your heart, okay? And he is going to say everything in the life of faith, before he gets into talk about doing and working and obeying, everything in a life of faith relies on an inside-out process. Because if you read the book of James and you confuse the process as to being an outside-in, I have to do works, I have to do good things, I have to... And if you don't understand the inside-out process, it's going to wreck your faith. So here's what James says. He lays the foundation and he gets to verse 19. And he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So James has this strange way of writing, and it feels like often one verse is not connected to the next verse, which won't be connected to the next verse. And so we have this idea that the gospel has changed us. And he goes to verse 19, and it seems like he's inserted this, this two-sentence article that you could find in any magazine rack in Barnes and Noble that helps us with a sort of an anger management session, right? And oftentimes we do that. We're like, okay, you got anger problems. Where do we go? We go, oh, James chapter one, verse 19. This I know, be 
slow to speak, quick to listen, and do not become angry. And so we'll pick up scripture and we'll read it like that. But actually, verse 18 is connected to verse 19. And verse 19 is not just an anger management session, how to deal with your anger. It's actually connected to this phrase that James used over and over. And it's connected to the word of truth. And so what James is trying to say to us, he's trying to um, talk about listening to the word of God in our life. It's not a standalone thought. And so when James says, when you listen to the word of God, be slow to speak. Be quick to listen and do not become angry. Now, now, now just d- digest this for a moment. Typically, when we read the scriptures, sometimes we come to church, we can approach scripture this way, right? Like, like, uh, like we, we, uh, we, we have this thought that we want to bring to the table. God, I, uh, I want to move to LA and God, you know, I love the industry and I've always wanted to act and I always wanted to, um, I always wanted to be in the industry. And so I'm thinking about moving to LA and then we thumb through scripture and we find the verse that we want to support our conclusion that we've already made. And so as we're thumbing through scripture, God, you, you see my Vimeo page, you know, I'm awesome. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to make an impact and make money. I'm going to end influence the industry. And, we, and God, where can I come in? And then we get to James, I mean, uh, Genesis chapter 11. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went out together from the Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. Boom, God, you have told me to go to Los Angeles. And sometimes we read scripture that way. Like I have this conclusion in my mind. I thumb through scripture to find justification for what I'm reading. But then other times we come to scripture. And, and we sit in a church or, or, we, or we're reading through the Bible in our own time and we come to a passage like, like, uh, like, like uh, when Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the poor, <laughs> right? And we come across a passage like that And we instantly think, oh my gosh, if this church talks about how to manage my finances one more time, I swear to goodness, I'm going to find another church, right? By the way, sell my possessions and give to the poor. Have you seen how much it costs to live in Burbank? Have you seen the cost of gas? I am the poor people, so I'm going to sell my possessions and give it to me, right? We read scripture like that sometimes. And so James has this idea. He kind of hedges his bet for a moment. And he says, I I just have this feeling that some of you approach Scripture like that. Like you're a bit skeptical that when you read Scripture, it's going to require something of you. And so just like when you come to an argument, a conversation that you had some time to process, and you know there's going to be conflict, you've already made up in your mind, you've already uh, allowed anger to work its way through your soul, and you arrive at a conversation, and you're quick to speak, slow to listen, and you're quick to anger. And James says, before you listen to Scripture, just slow down. Or maybe hurry up and listen. (laughs) Hurry up and listen to what Scripture wants to say to you. And so we we can understand that because we know that's how the people of God have responded throughout Scripture, right? We look at the people of God in the wilderness, and and when they're in the wilderness, God uses Moses and Aaron to speak to them, and they're obstinate, and they don't want to listen. We know that Jesus, when he taught in the synagogues, the religious leaders didn't want to have anything to do with it. Acts chapter 14, Paul is preaching, and he's stoned, and he's thrown out of Lystra. We understand when we read Scripture, oftentimes the people of God have a difficult time listening to what God says 
says and then obeying it. So James hedges his bet and says, I know that's how you're going to respond. You're going to come to Luke chapter 12, verse 33. You're going to read, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you're going to try to figure out how can I get out of this? So before you do, I just need to tell you, slow to speak, quick to listen. When my son was four years old, one of my best friends in the world, he, my son was just talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And one of my best friends looked at him and said, Deacon, do you know why God gave us two ears? And immediately, without, without even hesitation, my son, yeah. My son said to Jay, yes, so that you can listen to me more. <laughs> Miss Nichols, if he's in your class this coming year, um, you have the right to, um, um, yes, pray. You have the right to pray. We do a lot of praying in my home. James has this idea. He knows that we're going to we, we have the uh, ability to approach Scripture this way, where we're skeptical as to what God's going to say. We're going to hedge our bets against doing what God has to say. Are you really listening to Scripture this morning? Because uh, James is going to talk about obeying Scripture here in just a moment. But, but he's got a marriage that he's setting up here between listening and obeying. And whenever we confuse the two, whenever we divorce listening from obeying, whenever we don't allow listening and obeying to be married to one another, disaster happens. In fact, the implication here is that listening without obedience leads to hypocrisy. Listening to scripture without obeying what it says leads to hypocrisy. You understand what it means here. That's when we are in our culture, in the places where we live, breathe, work, exist, and play, and somebody looks at us and they say, um, you're a hypocrite. You don't practice what you preach. You're not living what you believe in, right? Um, when uh, my first ever sermon that I preached when I was 20 years old was from the book of Genesis chapter 4. It was a story of Cain and Abel. It's the first sermon I ever preached in my entire life. I was 20 years old. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 2, it said, Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Yeah, I'm sorry, he brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. And you know the story here. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. You know the story. So I'm preaching my first sermon when I'm 20 years old on, on this idea of, of worship and how we bring worship to God. The application, implication for us really has a lot to do with what Craig just stood up here and talked about. And that is worship through our giving. And so we see that Abel brought the first fruits of the fattest portion of his flock, and he offered that to God. And apparently, according to Scripture, that was acceptable to God. But Cain offered just what was available. That was the first sermon I ever preached. <laughs> I was in an auditorium of 50, 60, 70, 80-year-old people who had been believing Jesus for a long time, who had been faithfully giving to Jesus for three times the number of years that I've been living. It was kind of a difficult sermon to start off my ministry career with, talking about tithing. Really? And so for whatever reason, God took Genesis chapter 4, and he married it with a few other verses in my life over the last 18 years, 19 years. 
He took Malachi 3, he took 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, and he married this idea of being generous with our resources. My wife and I got married. I married my wife, and one of the things on our list of people that I wanted to marry was that we agreed about finances. We were going to be generous with our money. When we lived in Atlanta, many of you know that we moved here two and a half years ago. When we lived in Atlanta, if you follow the Dave Ramsey plan or any other financial budgeting plan, they'll tell you no more than 30% of your income should go towards your housing. When we lived in Atlanta, ours was about 28%. It freed up a lot of ability to give of our resources. When we were in Atlanta, we were giving about 12% of our gross income. Now hear me just for a moment. I'm not the hero of this story. I'm just telling you how God has used scripture to speak to my life. All right? We moved to LA. 28% became 54%. Our housing was 54 and is 54% of our gross income. And we had just decided in our hearts, there are some things that we can give away in order to make this possible. But one of the ways, because God has spoken to us in scripture, is that we're not going to hedge on our giving. So last year, we gave the, this, I'm not the hero of the story, because in a moment, I'm going to tell you the backside of this story. Last year, we gave the largest percentage of our gross income we've ever given away to Story City and eight other ministries here in our city and around our country, three of which are represented in this auditorium today. 54% of our income, and last year, we decided, you know what, we're not going to hedge our bets and, 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 and push away from what we believe God has spoken to us in Scripture. We are going to move forward and do what we believe God has asked us to do. Now, the flip side of that is that God has begun to speak to us in other areas of our life because we have decided we're going to go all in on being generous with our resources. God has begun to speak to me because I've just got this sense I need to supplement my income. So he's begun to speak to me about trusting him, about not loving money. But when Jesus speaks to us through the scriptures, there's this idea of listening and obeying because some of us can approach difficult things in scripture like Luke 12, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And our first thought is, I'm quick to speak, I'm slow to listen, and I'm going to become angry because God, you don't know my situation. And Jesus says, when we listen to scripture and we do not obey, it leads to hypocrisy. And so the idea that, that, that James wants to pose to us in these first few verses is, is that the consumption of God's word is foundational to following Jesus. My pastor in Atlanta says, you're never more like Jesus than when you're giving. And I know for a fact that he gives to over 100 ministries a year. This message is not about giving, by the way. I'm just trying to illustrate how God has spoken to our family in terms of Scripture. And when God speaks, the only alternative is to obey. Now, listen to what happens. He's in verse 19 and 20, and he's talking about slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. And then he gets into verse 21. Verse 21 is like the zip tie that wraps these verses we're going to talk about this morning all together. And I want you to pay attention. We're going to talk about it, and then we're going to come back here in just a moment. Verse 21, James says this, for it is not those who, I'm sorry, um, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is implanted, I mean, and the evil that is so prevalent. And here is what he says, and humbly accept the word. Humbly accept the word. The NASB says receive the word. 
says get rid of all moral filth. There's this idea of taking off. We see it in scripture often, Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, Hebrews 12. Um, we see scripture will talk to us about taking off sin, and typically it's coupled with another idea, and that is putting on the righteousness of Christ. Take off your sin, put on the righteousness of Christ. James departs from that illustration. He does say take off sin, but rather than just saying put on the righteousness of Christ, he's got a more basic idea in mind. And the idea that James has in mind is that when we are influenced by the word of God, it has the ability to influence our behavior. That's the idea that he wants to get to here. And so he says, get rid of all moral filth and all the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that is planted in you. The word that is planted in you. So we saw it in verse 18. He's got this idea of the word. And now in verse 21, he comes back to the idea of the word. He says, remember the word that you heard, the gospel that saved you. You see, in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel chapter 36, we understand that we just don't innately, we're not born with this idea that's planted in us that innately has this knowledge of God. We have a general revelation of God. Paul talked about it in the book of Romans, but we don't have specific knowledge of God, and it's not automatic. James is saying here, we just don't assume that we have automatic understanding of the will of God. The same word that saved you is the same word that needs to abide in your life and in your heart and in your daily walk. And he says, and that word that was planted in you, which can save you. James has this idea, and the implication is this. First of all, we saw in the first few verses, listening without obeying leads to hypocrisy. Now James wants to assert an idea that obedience without listening, obedience without listening leads to legalism. Obedience without legalism leads to, I mean, obedience without listening leads to legalism. What do you mean by that? I mean, some of us have this perception of Christianity that we have a, a list of rules that we're just going to walk by, and whenever we walk by a list of rules without the marriage of listening to the Word of God speaking to us, it leads to legalism, and legalism can take us down two roads. The first road it can take us down is self-righteousness. That's Pharisaical, and that's what Jesus talked about when he was in the temple and he was in the synagogue, and he was talking about the Pharisees who were would obey the Old Testament laws, yet they wouldn't obey all of them. And Jesus would look at them and they would say, you are self-righteous. That's the first road that legalism can lead us down. The second road it can lead us down is self-condemnation. And the reason why legalism leads us down a road of self-condemnation is because we've built our faith around this idea. Our worth and our value is built around the thought that the more I work, the more I achieve, the more approved I am by God. And James has a warning and he says, be very, very careful that you just obey scripture without having heard what God has said. This is why I, this is why I, I have a hesitation often when I see people make major life decisions and I'm confident that prayer and the scriptures has not been invested in, in this process. And so you arrive at a place and you're not sure Jesus was ever where you came from and now things get crazy and hairy and now you're not sure where you're going because Jesus isn't involved here. James says, be very careful to obey without listening because it can lead to legalism and it has this self-condemnation and this self-righteousness that, that, that happens whenever we're not listening to scripture. The evidence that we've received the word of God, that it's been implanted in our hearts is when our Listening, now listen to what he's about to say. He's about to, he's about to marry the two. The evidence that the word has been implanted in our heart is when our listening 
leads to a life-giving obedience. Do you understand that? A life-giving obedience. So Jesus talked in Mark chapter 4, and he talked about the idea of the soil. He said, prepare the soil of your heart so that the seed of the word could take root and bear fruit. The idea is that life-giving obedience is natural when the absorption of God's word is habitual. Life-giving obedience is natural when the absorption of God's word is habitual. You understand this innately. You understand this by experience in your own life. You, you, you understand this because you have pursued um, a life that follows rules, yet it is divorced from the scripture, and there is this sort of self-condemnation or this self-righteousness that you feel under the weight of. Yet James says there's a way to marry those two, where your obedience doesn't feel like a burden. It's actually life-giving. Now, read in verse 22. We're going to come back to verse 21 in just a second. Verse 22 is really the theme of the entire letter of James. James says, but, but do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. He says, do what it says. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to park here for a moment, but I think the gist of this is pretty evident and pretty obvious, except for the fact that when we read that verse and we divorce it from these two being married, listening and obeying, what James says here becomes very rigid in our lives. Obey what God said. Well, I don't want to obey. Of course you don't want to obey when the scripture is not married with your obedience. It sounds very familiar to the words that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Then verse 26, Jesus says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. In essence, James is saying there's no spiritual life present in you if listening is the only activity. Be very careful if you read the word of God and it becomes like a New Year's resolution. Great idea, Pastor Matt. I just don't ever plan to do anything with it. <clears throat> it's sort of scary as a pastor to, to think how often how many messages we preach and how often I've been guilty of it myself. We sit in an auditorium and we listen to scripture and the parts of our life that comply with that scripture is sort of this puffed up, this idea. But when scripture confronts and challenges and convicts or tries to change us, we, we try to put it aside. We forget it rather than obeying the word. And so this is the word that James has for us in verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do it, what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. So James has this silly illustration here. <laughs> and there's parts of this uh, two verses that are difficult to translate. But the gist of it is that the failure of the person who looks in the mirror is that he failed to remember. He failed to remember what he looks like. In other words, James says, um, when you listen to the word and you don't remember what it says, it's as if you looked in the mirror and then five minutes later, you couldn't even point out your own face in a police lineup. It's kind of a silly illustration. But we see this idea over and over in the Old Testament. God commands the people in the Old Testament to remember his works, his acts, his mercy, his goodness, his grace. Remember in Exodus chapter 14, the people of God have just escaped Egypt. And they've come down, and they're at the, the base and the shore of the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, 
as they're at the shore of the Red Sea, there's a rumbling at their back, and Pharaoh and his army come chasing after the people of God. And there's this panic moment, and God provides a way through the Red Sea. They can't go right, they can't go left, they can't back up. The only way is through the Red Sea, and the only way that could happen is if God parted the waters, and God did. And when they got to the other side, the waters closed, Pharaoh and all of his army, they perished. And when they got to the other side, you remember what they did? What did they do? They set up what? Memorial stones. And we see that often in the process of the Old Testament, where God says, I want you to set up this memorial so that the people who come behind you will know that I am the Lord. That's the frequent language that's used. And they will worship the Lord your God because of his acts of mercy and acts of kindness and his acts of grace. And so when James talks about looking in the mirror and then forgetting, we have this Old Testament image, this idea that God consistently reminds us to not forget his word. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving to you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and and you settle down. And when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and my strength have produced this wealth for me. Verse 18, but remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is to this day. I can't overstate the, the value in your own life personally of knowing what Scripture says. I just can't overstate it. The idea of being a part of church and claiming Christianity without the consumption and the absorption of the word of God is foreign to James. It's foreign to scripture. You cannot do so without observing the word of God. When I was in seminary, there was a pastor from Durham, North Carolina. I'm still impacted by this day. And before he got up, he would never claim it himself, but he was introduced as a man who had memorized 33 books of the Bible. If all we do is listen to the word when we meet on Sundays, then James, be careful. I say this with passion and compassion to you this morning. If all we do is listen to the word when we come to church on Sundays, then James says we're like the fool of James 1, 23 and 24. We listen and then we leave it by lunch. The language he uses here can be very burdensome. Be very burdensome if you're not careful. But then when you read verse 25, he talks about a freedom that I hope God will impress on your heart this morning. And he will marry the two of listening and obeying. Verse 25, it says, but whoever looks intently, whoever looks intently, short phrase, gives us this idea of someone who stoops down, gets close, looks at very closely, and what he's seen. I take walks in the afternoon with my kids pretty frequently. 
my two-year-old Roman will, will be walking on the sidewalk and occasionally there'll be a bug or there's something on the sidewalk and he'll get down, he'll get down, you know, very gently and all of us, next thing you know, he's, he's laying like this, like really up close, looking at what he's seeing. And it's the funniest thing. Yet that's the illustration that James is giving to us. He's saying the word that was implanted in you that saved you is the word should, that, that, is the word that should abide in you. At some point in your day, you need to stop. <laughs> Look closely at what God is saying. And then he says, when you look intently into the perfect law. Now, he's used truth for a moment. He transitions to law. You have to understand that James was a pastor to Jewish people in Jerusalem. And so the Old Testament is heavily embedded in him, but he's not talking about Old Testament law. He's talking about the fulfillment of the law in the Old Testament by Christ and the words of Christ that lead us to truth and can change our hearts. And he says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, that's the word he says, that gives, this word gives freedom. Your obedience without the word gives burdens. It gives legalism, it gives self-righteousness, it gives self-condemnation. But whoever looks intently at the perfect law, that gives freedom. And he continues in it, not forgetting what he has heard. This is what James says. They will be blessed in what they do. Now, take your prosperity theology for a moment and throw it out of this church. Let me say something to you. James says here, when you look intently into the word and you listen to what it says and you do what it says, you will be blessed. I love what David Platt says. He says, it sounds like that blessing is conditional. And if you're wondering whether you have to do something in order to experience blessing, no, I'm not saying that. James is. <laughs> and it's not just James, it's Jesus too, along with the rest of scripture. So how do we understand the law that brings freedom and obedience. Understanding that brings the whole passage together this morning. Here's how James wants to marry listening and obeying. Obeying while listening leads to blessing. If you think that sounds a lot like Jesus, it does. Luke eleven twenty eight. he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So Pastor Matt, how is it that obedience is not burdensome? Verse 21 says, accept the word planted in you. Don't just muster up this courage and this obedience to this idea that you think will be acceptable by God and strengthen your relationship with by God. Verse 21 says, accept the word that's planted into you. That's an assumption that there's an habitual desire and feeding on the scriptures that leads to a life-giving obedience. Three and a half years ago, um, we had been in youth ministry for 14 years. <laughs> and when I got in ministry, I said, God, this is all I wanna do. And when my shelf life is up, I'll go sell real estate. 
And um, we were coming near the end and we knew it was near the end. We could sense a season of transition and I was beginning to prepare myself for something other than ministry because honest to God, I did not want to pastor a church. (laughs) And so my wife, as we're praying through this and we've been talking for about a year, I said, baby, I don't know what it is, but I, I, I don't know, I have this feeling that God's saying something about church planning. And I'd wake up every single day, and it was the first thought on my mind, and I'd tell you honestly this morning, I would say in my bed, looking up at the ceiling, either out loud or in my heart, every day, thank you, God, but no thank you. And my wife, as wise as she is, says, Maybe we should begin praying. Exodus chapter 33, verse 15 and 16. Moses is near the end of his life, and God has looked at Moses. By the way, this is a descriptive passage, not a prescriptive. This isn't what you should always do, but God used this passage to prescribe what I believe has happened in our life over the last three years. Moses has heard from God. Moses, I want you to go one more time. At this point in his life, Moses has learned to trust the voice of God in his life and he's come to a point where he knows that he needs to obey when God speaks and this is what Moses says in Exodus 33 14 15 and 16 God if your spirit does not lead us up from here in other words if you're not if your spirit is not where we are headed then don't let us go there either so we began to pray God if if this is what you're doing This is not what you're doing. Don't let us get somewhere down the road that you have not brought us. You say, Matt, theologically, God is everywhere. I get that. But I believe the calling on your life is specific. And so we began to pray Exodus 33, 14, 15, and 16. God, don't lead us up from here if you're not going. If you've ever asked me about our call to Los Angeles to plant a church, you will hear me use this terminology. There's a lot of memorial stones in the process. We look back over it and we see Exodus 33, 14, 15, 16. We look back over it and we see the crossing of the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14. We look at Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, and we see that the most direct route that God could have led the the people of God was a direct route to the land where they were going. Yet in Exodus 13, 17, God said he took them on a circuitous route rather than a direct route because the direct route was on the way towards the Philistines and God said in Exodus 13, 17, he knew if they went this way, they might change their mind. And we had settled in our heart. God, we know you're taking us somewhere and we trust in you. And every time you let us know where, you, where we believe you're going, we will follow you. There's other memorial stones in the process, something our pastor had said to us, something other wise men of God had spoken into the process. One of our mentors who's about to move to California, and I hope he's, he's, uh, he's 67 years old. He was one of the reasons why we came to L.A. He's about to move to Los Angeles, and I pray he's going to be a part of our church. And he said, Matt, when the stirrings of Antioch begin to speak louder than the comfort of home in Jerusalem, you know God's up to something. We were comfortable in Jerusalem. Something was happening out here. We believe God spoke to us through his word. Now, can I say this to you? We've been here two years and four months. I'd be lying if I told you there weren't many days when I wanted to go home. Especially when I go back east and I eat at Cracker Barrel. (laughs) I mean, come on, California. At least the Waffle House, right? 
you know what keeps us glued to the calling here? It's what God said. It's what God said to us. As hard as it may be in days and times in your life, when you believe that you have heard from God, God, I've been listening and I know you said this, and this is hard, but I'm not moving because you brought me here. And until you say go, I'm going to be right here. I trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to walk with you, Jesus. When you marry, you're listening and you're obeying. Can I say to you, it's life-giving. <laughs> the best day of my week is 6 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Sundays. This is life-giving to me. This is life-giving to me. This is what God said do. <laughs> as hard as it is, obedience leads to life. Would you close your eyes, bow your head? We're going to sing a few more songs and take communion together here. But can I just ask you a, a question? Has God spoken to you? Pastor Matt, I've not heard God speak in a long time. I believe the grace of God is so strong and so sufficient in this moment that He can bring you, he can bring you to this point. He knows how you got here. And with the authentic, genuine confession of your heart before Him, He will look you in the eyes and tell you, I love you, but this is not where I want you to stay. This morning, maybe you've not heard from God in a long time. The only thing I can commend to you today is the faithful absorption of His Word. And that may seem legalistic to you, but I promise you, the absorption of His Word will lead to life. Some of you in this room this morning have been believers for a while. You've heard God speak. You know what He said. And maybe it's a challenging moment in your life to trust Him and to walk forward in obedience. I would say if you have a very clear indication of His words to you, the worst thing you can do is not obey. Finally, there are some in here this morning who, I don't know how you came, but as one of your pastors, I want to say I'm glad you're here. With passion and compassion, I want to say that it's not by accident, circumstance, or happenstance that you arrived at the Colony Theater on May 7, 2017. And maybe, just maybe, you have come to an understanding that God created you, Genesis 1-1. He loves you, John 3-16. There's a problem, though, between you and Him, Romans 3-23. That problem is called sin, and according to Romans 6-23, if there's not a solution to your problem called sin, the result, according to Romans 6-23, is death, both in this life and the next, separation from God with no access or ability to call on Him. But then you further understand Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrates His love towards you. Don't think about your neighbor. Towards you, in that while you were still a sinner, God provided a solution for your sin, which separated you from Him. And that solution was Christ on the cross, the sinless one who died for the sins of humanity. That if you confess with your mouth, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, the Scripture says today, you will be saved. And then John chapter 1 says, when that happens, he gives you the right to become a child of God. Maybe that's what needs to happen to you today. Before you can hear the word and have it abide in you consistently, 
God's got to replace a heart of stone, Ezekiel chapter 36, and give you a heart that will finally beat with new life because of the spirit of the living God that lives within you. But it cannot happen until you give your life to Jesus and trust your life to him, repent of your sin, and walk with him. Maybe that's you today. Nothing magical or mystical about that. We're not going to stand you on a stage, make you say anything you don't want to say. We're not going to embarrass you. But if that's your desire to know Jesus today and trust him with salvation, I'd like to ask you to do me a favor. Right here where you're seated, don't look around. Nobody to the right, to the left, to the front, to the back. If that's you, Pastor Matt, I've never trusted my life to Jesus and I need to be saved. Would you do me a favor? Would you just raise your hand real high? Anybody? It doesn't matter who's around you. Anybody? Praise God. Anybody else? Just a second when we stand up and sing. There's a guy down front. His name is Tom. If you'd like for someone to pray over you and with you, I invite you to come down front. This man who loves Jesus and loves his word. You know how we know it? Because his Bible is torn to shreds. He loved to pray with you. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. It's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In all things, in all things, in all things, in all things, when we hear the word of God, our hearts lay open and bare, Hebrews chapter 4 says before the eyes of you with whom we have to live. So God, this morning, I pray that you've divided our hearts. It's the moment of truth for those of us sitting in this auditorium to have a moment of business with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you do me a favor? Just stay seated. We're going to sing one song. We're going to have communion up here. Just have a moment of reflection as our band sings.